Good morning. Let's begin with a word of prayer. My prayer this morning, Father, is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and a word for our hearts. Amen. Hopefully, this is the last sermon that will only be preached over the internet. Next Sunday, the 21st of June, we are planning an outdoor worship service at King's. You can find us at 395 King's Highway North in Cherry Hill. Our service is going to begin at 10 a.m. Masks are required. There will be a check-in where we will be checking your temperature. We ask that if you have a lawn chair or a bag chair, you bring that so that we can equally distance our, safely distance ourselves out on the lawn. Uh, There will be uh, a musician, a piano player, and a singer. However, we will be asking at this time that the congregation not sing, as that is potentially one of the ways that the virus is spread. So if you have the opportunity, plan on joining us next Sunday, the 21st at 10 a.m. at King's on King's Highway in Cherry Hill. This morning's scripture comes from the book of Matthew, the ninth chapter, beginning with the 35th verse. It is our custom at Kings to stand when reading scripture. If you are able, please stand and read with me. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go Nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, nor two tunics nor sandals, nor a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Now, I don't know how you have been spending the quarantine. I've been spending a lot of time online teaching for the Woodbury Public Schools making videos for my students, sing-alongs and bucket drumming as I I teach music. I've been working on the daily devotionals for the church's web page, Facebook page, and of course working on my sermons for every Sunday. 
But one of my hobbies, you may know this about me, is bicycling. I love to ride my bicycle, and I, I like to go pretty serious distances. So last Saturday, I got up to 20 miles. My goal is by uh, July to hopefully get up to 30 and maybe, capital M, maybe, make it to Ocean City one day towards the end of the summer. I always plan my route so that I end up coming home on the same five-mile stretch. By the time I get to that last five miles, I'm not as sharp-witted as I was when I left, and my legs aren't as strong as when I, I started the race, the ride. And so these last five miles are very familiar, and they go right next to farmland. Now, several weeks ago when I started... The, the farmland was still filled with weeds. And I, I said to myself, self, I said, when does the farmer get started? And sure enough, on my next ride, I saw a, a farmer on a large tractor and he was plowing under the weeds and last year's uh, leftover growth. And the field was, was brown. It was all dirt. And then the next time I went for a ride, the same farmer was out on the same field on the same tractor, and he was doing very equidistant rows and planting. And then he has this really neat thing, and me as a city boy had not seen these. It's like a sprinkler system for the entire field, and he just ran it all the way down the field. And this morning when I went for a ride, I, I see little corn stalks are about six inches tall. Now, in Jesus' time, this wouldn't be something unique or unusual. This would be something that you would see all the time. Perhaps not the tractor, of course. But Jesus lived in first century Palestine, and that was what we call an agrarian society. You can remember that because they dealt with farming, fishing, and grazing flocks of sheep and goats agriculture, growing things, living things. Now, of course, there were carpenters. Jesus was a carpenter. And there were potters and tailors and all those other jobs. But the, the thing that kept the machinery of business going in Palestine was the farms and the shepherds. So when Jesus talks about farmers and sowers and fields and weeds and fig trees. This isn't something you would have to ride all the way out into the country to see. This was the country. And think about all the farmer's analogies that Jesus used. A sower went out to sow, we're told. The parable of the wheat and tares. Jesus said in his last discourse to the disciples before the crucifixion, I am the vine, you are the branches. He told the parable of the fig tree. Well, why did Jesus do this? Well, the first reason is because it was familiar. People understood these things because they literally saw them every day. And the second thing, and I, I want you to think about this, is that spirituality, a relationship with God, is something that's alive and growing. Just like a relationship between human beings. First you get to know each other, and then the relationship grows. We'll talk about that later. 
Think about this. Paul continues this farming, growing analogy in 1 Corinthians when he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God has been making it grow. Or when he said in Galatians that there was fruit that came from the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. The spiritual life that God calls us to have is one that grows. Now, you know, I like to read Stephen Covey, the author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and he calls this the law of farming. See, as in farming, success in life comes from regular, disciplined, daily efforts. Let me say that again. Success in life comes from regular, disciplined, daily efforts. Think about this. The farmer can't be lazy for three months. He can't say, oh, it's too cold in April to plant, and oh, it's too rainy in May to plant, and oh, it's too hot in June and July to plant, and then cram in all of his farming activities in August and September and look for a crop in October. The law of farming says that success comes from regular, disciplined, daily efforts. One day at a time, one week at a time, one month at a time, one harvest at a time. The work of the farmer has to be planting, pulling weeds, and picking fruit at the perfect time. In the parable of the sower, think about this, the sower goes out to sow, but it's not his responsibility to make the seeds grow. Jesus reminds his disciples that they are called to be fishers of men. And in the second part of our scripture today, he sends them out to be harvesters of men. This is a very one-sided discussion. I like this. Jesus does not take questions from the disciples. It says, you've been empowered, you must go, and he names who's going, and they leave. Nobody said, well... I have to go home and pack. He took care of that. You only get one tunic. One person didn't get to say, well, I don't have enough money or time or knowledge. Jesus took care of that. He said a worker is worth his work. And they didn't get to say, well, I'm not sure that I can get the time off. I don't have the PTO or the vacation stored up. Jesus said, go, and they went. And nobody got to say, well, what will my family or friends or co-workers say or think about me if I run around the countryside telling people about the kingdom of God? Just like he said in last week's message, Jesus says, go. I want you to really think about this. It's not our responsibility. It's not yours or my responsibility to grow the seed, only to plant it. God grows the seed. As in relationships, there's several steps. First, you have to meet a person. Then you become familiar with them. Then you become friendly and comfortable with them. Maybe you become committed to them in some way as a friend or or perhaps as a, a dating relationship. 
And then finally, you become intimate them, intimate with them, emotionally intimate. You're willing to share things with them that you wouldn't share with somebody else. Well, that very much echoes the relationship that the farmer has with his crop. First, he has to plant the seeds. Then he has to care for the soil. Then he has to make sure that the balance of sun and uh, weather, rain, are equal. And if not, he gets out that big watering thing that covers the whole field. Then he has to be patient and wait for the flower because the flower means that the fruit is not far behind. Well, I'd like to share with you a story in a contemporary parable. The first is a true story. The evangelist Luis Palau met Maria Benitez Perez. Maria had made an appointment under false pretenses. She claimed that she wanted to interview for a job. But as soon as she entered her office, his office, Mary made her intent clear. I'm sorry, Maria. Maria was the secretary to the Communist Party of Ecuador. She denounced everything having to do with God or with Jesus Christ, and her bitterness overwhelmed Palau. But he listened respectfully and replied gently to everything Maria said. Soon Maria was telling him her life story. It was a tale of pain and suffering and sin, and she ended it all with one question. Supposing there is a God, would he accept a woman like me? Luis Palau didn't hesitate. He turned to Hebrews 10, 17 and read these words. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Maria tried to explain once again all the sins she had recently committed. Palau countered with Hebrews 10, 17. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Seventeen times. Maria tried to explain why she was unworthy to receive forgiveness. And seventeen times. Luis Palau repeated the words, Their sins and lawless acts I remember no more. And finally, Maria Benitez Perez bowed her head and prayed to receive Christ. Just like in the life of Maria Benitez Perez, there comes a point when we all have to decide about Jesus. Either he is or he isn't what he says he is. He either does or doesn't do what he claims. If he is and does, then what's the holdup? Did you hear? Luis Palau did not have to convince Maria. All he had to do was plant the seed. When I was in seminary, one of our professors preached. As we were getting ready to leave seminary and go to our churches, and he shared this story that has stuck with me for over 30 years. This contemporary parable goes like this. On a dangerous seacoast where the shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea, and with no thought for themselves, 
went out day and night tirelessly searching for those who were lost. Some of those were saved, and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and gave of their time, money, and effort to support its work. New boats were purchased and new crews trained, and the little life-saving station grew. Some of the members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. They replaced the emergency cots with beds and put better furniture in an enlarged building. Now, the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members, and they decorated it beautifully because they used it as sort of a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decorations, and there was a, a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club's initiations were held. About this time, a large ship wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick. The beautiful new club was in chaos, so the property committee immediately had a, a shower house built outside the club where the victims of shipwrecks could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split among the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all the various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters they could begin their own life-saving station. So they did. As years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that occurred in the old. It evolved into a club. And yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that seacoast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drowned. The sower went out to sow. We, church, need to have a plan, a purpose, and we need to be propelled. We need to have a plan and a purpose and the propulsion to do that which Jesus called his disciples and us. We need to trust God to make growth happen. Our job is to plant seeds and, like Apollos, to water. But just like those corn stalks that I pass on my bicycle, God makes things to grow. And I don't know where you attend church. Some of us who are listening attend kings. Some attend other churches. But we need to stop and ask, have we lost our first love? Have we, like the parable, become more of a club? Or are we a true life-saving station? We need to save lives and not settle down. 
Jesus calls you and me to be a harvester. Now, if you've never made a decision to be in a relationship with Jesus and you want to, pray this prayer with me today. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I've done things that are wrong, just like Mary, Maria Benita Perez. And I thank you that you died for me and paid the price for my sins. Come into my heart, come into my life, and make me yours. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, then you, my friend, have been harvested. And Jesus calls you to join a local congregation and become a harvester. If you need to leave the safety of your clubhouse and return to the life-saving station, you need the Spirit to rekindle a passion in you for saving the lost. Then make that prayer and commitment today. Finally, if you don't have a church home and would like to join us for worship, next week, Father's Day at 10 a.m., we will be worshiping outside together. And we would love to worship and study the word with you. Amen.